Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Hey, what's going on? This is Pastor Jay Harris from The Ville Church. If you're just tuning in to us, we really appreciate it, and we're glad to have you with us this Sunday morning for online church. This is our first time doing this, and we're doing it in the midst of, you know, all of this craziness we have going on with COVID-19. Um, pray for all of y'all out there. Pray that y'all are being safe and your families are good to go and um, and all of those good things. And so, of course, this is causing us to be innovative and look at doing church a little bit different since we can't gather. And so we've turned to doing it online. And so we're excited to do this this morning. I'm excited to be with you and Pray that you get a lot out of this word today. Um, We're in the middle of a series called Rooted right now, which comes out of um, Colossians, um, where Paul is actually telling the church to stay rooted in Christ. And so we've just used as a theme as we as a church have just are making the effort to be intentional by going deep in our relationship with Christ Jesus. Um, The text we're going to be in today is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you want to turn through that and I will walk you through that. Let me read that to you starts off like this it says if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God verse 2 says set your mind minds on the things that are above not only things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory so this text right here a couple of things Paul starts off by saying if then And so he says, if then you have been raised with Christ Jesus. This is important because Paul is actually transitioning from the text over inside of Colossians 2 at the end of Colossians 2 to jump into the beginning of Colossians 3. So he says, if then. But let me just, I want to hit you on what's on the other side of this if then that he's transitioning from. Um, For the sake of time, because I can get long-winded. My church always says when I say I'm going to keep it short that I end up going long. Um, But I'm going to attempt to uh, be be swift or whatever. I'm not going to read all of the text in Colossians 2, but I want to read some of it so you can understand. But he says, I'm in verse 18, Colossians 2, 18, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous minds, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Um, I'm going to jump to verse 21 and verse 21 says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed, listen to this, an appearance, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So really quick, let me tell you what he's talking about. So when he talks about Um, worship of angels, details about visions and puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind. And he's talking about asceticism. He's talking about this kind of high mindedness. You ever hear somebody say like, yeah, I feel what the Bible is saying, but what I really feel is this right here. What they're doing at this moment is that they aren't going deeper into the word of God to actually understand what it means. They're just taking their feeling and put it over the word of God. So Paul is actually warning the Colossians, the, the Colossians, right, which are the people, the church at Colossae, which who he's writing this letter to. It's the church in, of, of the Colossians, the people group, right? And so he's actually warning them. 
Don't fall for the sucker stuff. Don't let people come to you all puff, puffed up, telling you about how they feel and some dream they had and start, you know, tricking you with this certain ideology and actually trampling over the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Start taking the word of God and making it nothing as something for them to stand on and prop up their visions and their feelings and this asceticism and all of this other stuff. And even this idea of like, I mean, the severity of the body that he speaks on. He's talking about people who they are pretty much, um, they are they are glorifying themselves by the things they do. So they may be like, hey, I don't eat this. I don't do that. I don't touch that. And they're using it to to like build up their self-righteousness and make themselves appear more spiritual or they're using it to manipulate um, their platform to be like, you know, I have more authority because I'm, I'm, I'm mature in this right here. And, and, uh, and so he's saying that's a manipulation. Don't fall for that, whatever. Like the body, meaning the people of God, they grow as they hold on to Jesus Christ, as they believe the gospel more and more, as they understand that their sins were and the wrath for their sins and God's anger was released on Jesus and Jesus from his grace and mercy, God's mercy and grace that he's given to us through Jesus. His death on the cross was him actually taking the penalty for our sins and Jesus perfect resume gets transferred to us and makes us clean. And so that is what actually grows us. The more we believe that that's where the fruit of growth and righteousness begins to actually um, become uh, one with us and, and, and how we actually grow in that sense. So he's saying, don't let nobody play you for that. And so that takes us to our text, Colossians 3. That's where we get the now if then, because he's talking to believers, people who are followers of Jesus Christ that live in Colossae. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then verse two, he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So he is doing this thing where he's saying, leave all the sucker stuff behind. And as believers, be intentional about seeking Christ. And he says, where Christ is, see that the right hand of God. So he's taking Christ, he's elevating them, right? If we look at the, on, on, on um, in verse two, when he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, he's making, he's distinguishing between the two. He's like, there's things that are in the earth realm. They, 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 they just earthly, they're carnal. They just are what they are. But God is actually seated at the right hand of God. So even in that statement right there, he is elevating the Lordship, the bigness, the sovereignty of Christ saying, this is where you actually keep your focus at. So we're talking about earthly things versus heavenly things, right? And so I want to read a, another scripture to you, right? This is Philippians 4. Um, I'm going to read verse 4 through 9 for you. Um, but it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, and I think this text is actually really good. I'm about to read um, the rest of it to you, but I, I just want to interrupt it for a second because this text is something for us to actually remember right now in the midst of the COVID-19 threat that we're in the middle of because there's a lot of things changing. And even if you're, you know, like in my family, we've been trying to be strong and encouraging each other. Um, I've been praying, praying for other people, and I still find myself with this just kind of overwhelming kind of gloom feeling because of 
just the media and everything. And I'm like, man, it's absolutely crazy. And it's like, so I want to shake it. So I'm trying to hold to Jesus and the word of God. And this text is actually a great encouragement, but it says the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds and in Christ Jesus. And the text I really want to focus on is in verse eight right here. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So he tells them, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This text is important right here because we see in the scripture in Colossians 3 where we're at, it says, seek the things that are above. And then verse 2 says, set your mind on, mind on things that are above. And then we see over here in Philippians, Paul is actually telling them what to actually think about and not only what to think about, what to practice. And so I imagine when a lot of people hear this, they're like, yo, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, what's excellence, everybody has an idea of what these things are in their mind, right? So back in the day or whatever, if you would have told me that or whatever, I'm like, yo, whatever's lovely, you know what I'm saying? There's no telling where my mind would have been if you asked me to tell you what I thought was actually lovely, right? Um, you know, whatever's you know worthy of praise, everything I was praising was wrong, right? So I praise getting money. Uh, I love, you know, I, I felt I was a player, so I thought I was good at manipulating women, that I thought I had a gift and a talent. I thought it was actually praiseworthy, but it was actually um, completely sinful. It was hateful to um, the sisters and people that I dealt with. Um, I thought I understood what loyalty meant. Um, but, you know, as I've grown, I know what loving a friend or a neighbor is, and it's not just being down with them because we like the same things or whatever, but it's telling people the truth and being honest with them. And so these are just the areas that I feel that God is actually sanctifying myself and wants to sanctify his children. In. And so what's important with a text like this is that God is actually Lord of our life because this isn't a, this isn't a self-help um, list for somebody who's not a, a follower of God, because our response would be to go and do this and make it law. Once again, we would be not trusting God to change us. We would be trying to do something to earn God's love. And we would have corrupt perspectives, carnal, earthly perspectives of what it means to like, we don't even understand what purity is. So even the way we understand these things are is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So that's why verse one says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated not at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So our mind has to be focused on Christ for um, and Christ above for us to understand the things, how we're supposed to practically live them out in front of us. Right. Um, these these. These things like truth, honor, pure, they don't belong to this realm. They're things that come out of, that flow from the throne of God, and he determines what they are. And for us, we have to be submitted to him to understand that. So I hope that's clear in, in me explaining that. I'm going to jump down to verse 3. Verse 3 says, for you have died. So he follows up verse 2. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things, not on things that are on earth. Then he says, for you have died and your life is hidden 
with Christ in God, right? And so I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I, before I even get into this part, I want to give you a little bit of context. Paul's homeboy is, um, it, it actually planted this church in Colossae. He writes Paul and he, and he tells him, man, the church is going well. The people are following Jesus. They're loving each other. They're loving their brother. They're holding to Christ. Paul begins to encourage them even more. He doesn't say, yo, that's, that's what's up, man. Tell them do they think. Paul starts preaching Jesus to them anymore. And, and once again, it's because they're living counter the culture that is around them. You know, the people in Colossae are flourishing. Um, they're, they're a trade city, you know, so there's the economy is going well or whatever, and people are moving and grooving and they think they're doing well, but there's a lot of blindness and idolatry in the city and the people don't see that they're actually wretched and blind, but this people to God's glory, God has saved them and he is actually glorifying himself through the way that they are loving, loving each other and functioning and living. And so Paul is preaching this gospel to him, telling him, keep on pushing, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above. And in verse three, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does that mean? Um, what does that mean when he says that you have died? He's talking about when we talk about salvation, there is, there is an aspect in salvation where we die to ourselves so we could actually live through Christ. What does that mean? I'm going to give you an example from, for, from, from myself. For me, it's like, um, you know, when I became a Christian, when God saved me, I actually came to the Lord. I was sitting inside of a church and I only went to church to please my girlfriend, which is now my wife, because she asked me to go. And so I went to church. And I actually was in the middle of plotting to murder somebody. So I felt like, you know, I felt like my, my, you know, where I lived at was just a little bit too noisy and wild. And I said, man, I can go inside of the church and I can sit and I can figure out how I'm going to actually um, take care of this person. So I had been plotting on them. I'm sitting in church thinking through it. The pastor, what he was preaching was messing with me. Um, and I felt like God was tugging on my heart, but I was committed in carrying out this crime that I was going to do. Um, and I even remember that there was this, this, uh, you know, like when they would do the altar call, I would get so angry. I mean, I would get angry to the point where I literally want to throw a chair at the pastor. And this one particular Sunday, um, trying to get away from the altar call, I tell my girlfriend, I said, Hey, let's hurry up and leave and, and beat the traffic. So we get up out of the church or whatever, and I'm walking out of the door, and I felt like God spoke to me clear as day, and I felt like he just told me you're going to die this week. And it, it was overwhelming. I stepped out the door, happy to leave, but it brought me to tears outside. And I went back in the church, and I went back to the altar. My, my wife, Alana, was right next to me, and we were praying with people. And um, I had been at that altar it feels like a hundred times before. I know this is an exaggeration, but I had been there a lot of times. And I had prayed, God save me, fix me. That said the prayers with people. Um, I've even been at Christian school and said the prayer all the time and, and asked God to save me. But the thing that was different this time is that I was fully aware of, um, or at least I had a, a, a somewhat of an understanding of the wretchedness of my sin. You know what I'm saying? Me and my friends, we robbed, we stole, we sold drugs. It's not like I walked around feeling guilty about it, but I begin to actually understand like, yo, when, when we talk about what's wrong with society, 
I, all I saw was myself. I'm like, you are, your handprints are all over what's wrong. Um, when I thought, thought about families being broken and, 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 and all of that stuff and the things I wish I would have had with my father, I was like, homie, you're him. It began to just the mirror started to show me myself. And so when I was at the altar that day, my prayer was like, I was like, God, that person that I am, I need you to kill that person. Like I need for that person to die because that person only knows how to destroy and it's going to sabotage everything. My hopes of having a family, having kids and loving my kids, all of that stuff is out the window because I know what my track record is. I know what I know how to do and all I know how to do is destroy. So I was actually asking God and pleading to him for mercy and I was pleading for the death of myself. That was different than all the other hundred times that I prayed. So I said, so when he's, when he, when Paul is talking to them, he's talking to them, um, to them corporately in Colossae as if they understand this idea of, for you have died. He's saying that your walk with Christ was you neglecting what you think it should be, what you thought you knew was what was right. You're saying, God, I'm going to follow you. Whatever you say, go left, you go right. God, you are holy. You are pure. You are righteous. What you say is truth is truth. I'm neglecting what my mind says, right? The Bible says that like we all have plans, but the end of it is death. Like mankind, we make plans and everything else, and we think we're righteous with them, but they're death. So that day, I no longer had trust for myself. I didn't think I was good unto myself and that I would, it would only lead to destruction. So I literally was dying to myself. I was dying to myself. Christ was giving me power in that moment where like I'm letting the old me go. I'm like, God, I'll go do whatever you want me to do. And so it says, and your life is being hidden with Christ. I was being emptied out. The old me was being emptied out and he was filling me up, right? So and another example I want to give you on this idea of being hidden in Christ. When you look inside of the Bible, inside of Genesis, I think we all know the story of Adam and Eve, right? And so Adam and Eve, Eve sinned. And for Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they disobeyed God, they were now in this awareness that they were naked. They understood shame for the first time. They understood guilt for the first time. They understood condemnation for the first time. They were actually aware that they were naked and exposed for the first time. They never understood. They never knew evil. It never, it was not even a thing. And so they felt that for the first time, right? They were exposed. And if you continue reading in Genesis, after God comes down to deal with them and confront them about their sin, he actually kills an animal and clothes them. And that's the first time we hear about blood actually being shed. But God actually, it, it, was, it was actually foreshadowing what Jesus Christ would do on the cross. He killed something, blood was shed, and then he actually clothed them with the fur of the animal and covered their nakedness, right? So when we think about Jesus Christ and we think about him on the cross and him being foreshadowed in that moment, they were exposed. So they were now hidden in Christ and what Christ was beginning his sanctifying work with them. Because he didn't, he, he didn't leave them and neglect them, even though there was penalties to pay, and it would change the way the world would go forever on. That it was pointing to the work of Jesus Christ that would come. And so, when we look at Jesus, when we think about the gospel, we look at Jesus on the cross, and Jesus is on the cross, and he's dying for our sins, and Jesus is actually exposed. 
He's exposed. He's exposed, right? God is actually the sin that me and you have, our sin, um, the, it, like, you know, when we talk about salvation all the time and we talk about Jesus, we always just think about, like, thank God for saving me. And we talk about that aspect of it, but we forget that there was actually a price to it. And we didn't have to pay the price if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but Jesus actually paid that price. The wrath that was stored up for me and you and all of our sins, that wrath was taken out on Jesus Christ. That's what happened on the cross, right? All of our, our sin is what put Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus went to the cross to die for us, right? He, he was exposed on that cross so we actually could be hidden in Christ Jesus, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so let me let me try to make it a little bit clear for you. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus being on the cross, it was the first time that Jesus ever knew what it was to be separated from God. God separated from himself, from Jesus in that moment. And actually that separation was something that, um, that was actually, it, it, that should have been us separated from God for eternity, but God treated him like we deserve to be treated. He released his wrath on him. The Bible says that Jesus was beat so brutally, you couldn't even actually tell that he was actually human. You understand? And in that moment, never knowing what it's like to be apart from God, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was, ex he was exposed so we could actually be covered. Our filthy resume, our filthy resume, full of all of our sins, our lies, our secrets, our fingerprints on the brokenness of the world and all of the sin that's in it, our part that we play inside of this thing. That resume was given to Jesus who was actually perfect, who was the spotless lamb, who was the son of God. He's perfect, he's clean, and he's sinless, but nevertheless, he takes our resume and the filthy resume and he pays the price. And then God in exchange for us who actually are believers and for us who are following Christ or who are going to follow Christ, who God who's actually brought into um, awareness and woke us up from our slumber, um, he gives us the perfect resume of righteousness. We get Jesus' resume. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a scripture in the Bible you've probably heard before where people, you know, like people are before the Lord. And, uh, and they're, they're running off their resume to God. They say, God, you know, we heal people in your name. We did this, we did this. And they're running their resume down. And God says to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And God is basically like, yo, I don't know you. And the reason he doesn't know them is because they thought their works and all the good things that they could, they've done were payment enough to buy their salvation. And God is like, you disrespect everything. You, did, you disrespect the work of my son, Jesus, by thinking that you could actually pay for it with your works. That's not the gospel. The Bible says we are saved by grace and not by works. It is actually a gift from God. And so with that being said, I want to say this, like if you're listening right now, um, if, if you're on the other side of the screen and you're listening to this or even the audio or anything, then you feel like, man, like. I feel something right now. I feel like my heart feels convicted by what, you know, Pastor Jay is saying to me right now. And it may be a weird moment. You're not alone. I've been there before. I know what that is. Um, but I want to encourage you in this moment right now. Like, you know, what I am telling you right now, it's not about you being better. 
I'm not telling you you should get right because judgment is coming. I'm not saying that to you in the sense of you need to go write down a list of the things I said and start trying to act. What I'm saying is you need to let go of trying to be good. You need to let go of trying to put on fig leaves and cover yourself. You need to let go of trying to, you know, um, project this idea of righteousness and godliness that isn't of God. You need to walk into the light, walk into the light with your sin and confess it to God. Like he wants you to. The Bible says he actually joys in removing the iniquities of people. And Johnny says, if you say you don't sin, then you are a liar. But he says, if you actually walk in the light and confess your sin, he says, I will, uh, the blood of Jesus, it will remove all of your sin from you. And so when he says in this text in verse three, and your life is hidden with Christ and God, Paul is reminding the people as he's encouraging them on where to keep their focus and where to keep their eyes on and, and, and how to live their life as opposed to what the world is doing and everything else. He says, your life is hidden with, hidden with Christ Jesus. This is encouragement for them. He's letting them know this is who you are. And then in verse four, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so he ends it with that. And he is, uh, he's once again reminding them that Christ, who is your life, saying like you have died, your life is actually now in Christ Jesus. You no longer are your own. It's not about making decisions based on what you feel, what you want to do. Our life is, is postured in this way where we go, God, what would you have me to do? I would like to do that, but I actually submit to whatever you called me to do because I know where you've called me to be is the best place for me to be because you're Lord, Savior, King of Kings, and you are the creator, right? So it's not this idea where the creation is running the creator, but the creation is actually submitted to the creator and the creator is in this proper place God, the Father um, of, you know, of Jesus Christ and, and us being his children. And so when Christ, who is your, is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's just pointing to this future promise where God is actually going to glorify all of his children. So there's this present thing where God has justified us, meaning that he has wiped our sins away. But there's also an eternal promise where God is saying, I'm coming back for my children, my people, and you're going to live in glory eternally with me. You're going to rule and you're going to reign. That's what the word of God says. And so for those times, for those days like this, where there's threats and there's things that seem scary outside, um, maybe they're real, maybe they aren't real, but it doesn't matter what they actually are because God has actually conquered death for us. Jesus died. He gave his life, he died, and then he rose three days later. And that was him saying, I have defeated death, right? So that's that. And so I'm going to end with that right there. I believe that's a whole lot of information. And this is what my church means when they say, Pastor Jay, you get on a, you get on a tangent and start moving and grooving. But I pray that... Um, I pray that you found this encouraging um, in the in the comments. If you even have questions or comments that you need to make, you feel free to do that. And um, and I'll do my best to just respond to you, um, even if it's something like where, like I said, if you feel like God is actually tugging at your heart and you feel convicted by some of the things and maybe you have questions, hit us up in the message or, or whatever. I'll, I'll be glad to pray with you and talk to you. Um, but once again, this is not about what you need to do. This is about trust in Jesus, right? This is about 
um, submitting to God and 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 uh, following Him and declaring Him as Lord of your life. Um, and so, quick, very quick example. I always give this example, whatever. Like you know, you imagine like two girls or two boys, or whatever, running a track meet. One one person is actually running. Their parents are in the stands. One of them is running because they're trying to earn the love and approval of their parents. The other one is running as hard as they can because they already got it, right? And so when we think about the gospel, like God has already lived a perfect life on your behalf. He's already done everything. He just wants you to receive his perfect resume. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to dot all the I's, cross all your T's, be really good, do all of these things, and then present your case and go, God, I'm actually good. That's not going to work. That is not the, not going to work, and that's not what the Word of God is actually pointing us to. We actually run hard in the race because our Father already loves us, and He shows us that with the with with giving His Son Jesus on the cross. He's a, He's done everything to prove that He loves us. So we love we love others because we are we already love. We're not trying to earn love. Um, so I could keep talking on this all day, but I'm gonna go ahead and close it up with that. Listen, this is the Ville Church. I love you. I'm Pastor Jay. And when we get back in the building, I hope I see your face in the place. But if not, you can join me next week online as well. All right. Love you. Peace.